From 230 Euclid Avenue, I'm Mariah Humiston, and this is the Daily Orange Podcast. Today, quarantine without a cause. What happened at Ernie Davis Hall? The economic impact of no New York State Fair. And students' shifts slashed. What COVID-19 measures are doing to student income. It's Tuesday, September 8th, 2020. A little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear, because I was worried that, hey, I could be stuck here all weekend. I could be stuck here for four days, whatever it might be, to get these tests back, or, you know, what if someone has it? What if it's someone on my floor? What if it's me? Who knows? It's, it was a very strange situation. I'm Nick Robertson, the editorial editor of The Daily Orange, and I live on the third floor of Randy Davis Hall. I'm Maggie Hicks, and I'm an assistant news editor at The Daily Orange. So, Maggie, walk me through what led to the Ernie Davis quarantine. So, basically, the school has been testing the wastewater of all the different residence halls on campus, and I believe they're doing off-campus. And so they tested the wastewater for Ernie Davis, and they sensed traces of COVID-19 in the wastewater, like fairly heavy signal of traces of COVID-19. So as soon as they discovered that, they had all the students go back to their dorms immediately and begin quarantining. Then students, like, they weren't allowed to leave their rooms. They had to stay in their rooms until they knew it was safe. And then they went through and tested everybody in the building to see if they needed to isolate any COVID cases that would have come from the wastewater. So, Nick, what happened after you got back to your dorm? And if you were already in your dorm, what happened next after you got that email? I talked to my roommate about it, and, and our floor group chat was, was freaking out. And maybe five or ten minutes later, like really quick, I just get loud bangs on my door. People from the university with tests going door to door, getting everybody. It was it was very quick response in that regard. And they had tested my whole floor within half an hour of that alert going out. Can you elaborate a little bit more about what that process was like? Two people from the university just knocked on my door and they gave us the same tests that we got when we entered the university. It was a little saliva test, just like they gave you at Skytop. It was really easy, pretty quick. Then they just took our IDs and got our names down, made sure wherever we were in our, you know, my roommate and I were in the room and everyone was accounted for. And and that was that. And said, oh, yeah, you can't leave. You know, please go back to your dorm. And a big concern of everyone on the floor was food because it was like four thirty, five o'clock by this point. You know, dinner was coming and no one really knew what was going on. We heard from the residence hall director, oh, yeah, they're going to provide meals for you, you know, in about an hour or two, which was uh, turned into a bit of a debacle. So you're stuck in your dorm room and you can't leave. Elaborate more on how that dinner process worked. There wasn't a lot of communication from the university. It all, all kind of came from the residence hall directors. One announcement saying they're going to drop off some bagged meals around 6 or 7 o'clock. 7.30 comes around, there's no food. 7.45 comes around. Food apparently shows up. It's it's plastic bags full of like a little box of Cheerios, like a microwave meal and a granola bar, a bag of Lay's chips. You know, nothing, nothing too nice at all. And everyone was very worried that, hey, is this what it's going to be like? You know, is this what we're going to get? Not very good food. Fortunately, that didn't end up being the case, but it was not nice. And while they provided dinner, you tweeted that you were required to order your other meals. Can you tell me about that? 
After the first meal that evening, we were put on the SU food service quarantine like meal service, which is what they use for all students who are in quarantine across campus. Looking into it, it's pretty similar to what would happen at a hospital, funny enough. You go to the website, you fill out the form once a day, and you pick one of three or four meals. They have that one one meal delivered to you. There was some variety, like there were usually one gluten-free meal, one vegan meal, and two other meals. So you could pick something, and it, it was warm food. I'm not going to say hot food. It was warm food, which was a lot better than prepackaged. It was a step up for sure. So Maggie, this was the first real demonstration of how the university would quarantine an entire dorm that was exposed to the virus. You spoke with a lot of residents of Ernie Davis Hall. How did they say it went? Honestly, a lot of them said that it went pretty smoothly. Many of them were very surprised when it only lasted for about 24 hours because the students went into quarantine on Thursday and then they had the negative test results by Friday. So a lot of them said like they were like, we were a little nervous. We were like, it was very unexpected. But at the same time, like everything went fairly smoothly. All the students were tested and within 24 hours, they were able to leave their dorms again. And the day after Ernie Davis Hall begins its quarantine, the same wastewater system finds COVID-19 in Sadler Hall. What was the response to this, and why was it different from what happened in Ernie Davis? So the one in Sadler, they said, was a like a weaker signal, I guess, which means that just they didn't pick up as heavy of a signal or as much of a signal of COVID in the wastewater of Sadler. So rather than quarantining every single student and and having like an intense shutdown of the building, they just had every student get tested on the quad and like just said, hey, by the way, this is happening, just so you know. And then they conclude like they suggested that it was probably just someone who had recovered from COVID who was having it get picked up in the wastewater. And Nick, what was your reaction to the news that there were no active cases in Ernie Davis and that the infections were a false alarm? I was extremely surprised. And everyone on my floor, including my roommate, everyone else was as well. We all expected there to be one or possibly more cases in the building, especially given the size of the building. It didn't really surprise me at all that this would happen eventually. We never think it's going to be our dorm, right? We never think it's going to be us. But after we went into lockdown, I figured, okay, there's probably like one kid that has it and, you know, that's that. But fortunately, we got to a point where it's just someone who had it previously is the current hypothesis. So it's really good to hear and, and, and put some faith in the SU testing system. Nick Robertson is the editorial editor for The Daily Orange and a resident of Ernie Davis Hall. You can read about his quarantine journey on his Twitter at NickRobertsonSU. Nick, thank you so much for your time, and we're glad you're safe and healthy. Thank you. Maggie Hicks is an assistant news editor for The Daily Orange. You can read the story, Ernie Davis residents describe unexpected quarantine experience, SU response, on The Daily Orange website. Maggie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This is the first time that the New York State Fair has been canceled since World War II, and this year it is due to the coronavirus pandemic. This time last year, the New York State Fair would be filled with visitors to the fair as well as vendors selling food and livestock owners with their animals, including cows, horses, rabbits. This year at the fair, there won't be the typical games or vendors or crowds of people filling the fairgrounds. 
I'm Mandy Cranach, and I'm the culture editor at The Daily Orange. Can you tell me about the economic impact of the cancellation, how this is going to impact the vendors that show up to the fair every year? A lot of vendors come to the New York State Fair, some from out of state, and this year they won't be able to sell food or other products at the fair. So for all of these vendors who are losing this revenue and depend on the New York State Fair every year, what is the fair doing to help them out? So there's a program called the Three for Four, and basically participants can receive four fair tickets for next year's fair if they visit three of the fair's vendor establishments and then upload those receipts. What about the economic impact of the cancellation with the state's lost revenue? Dave Board said that the New York State Fair has an economic impact of approximately 100 million. Because the fair is canceled this year, there won't be that same revenue coming in from the fair. And so for right now, what are people that run the fair doing? How are they adapting to these changes and still letting people interact with some of the best things about the New York State Fair? While the fair won't be happening this year, there'll still be events at the fairgrounds. And one of those is Orange Lot Madness, including foods such as funnel cake and blooming onions, other fried food as well as drive-in movies and recordings of concerts that will be shown on the big screen. And the American High film, The Binge, actually premiered at the fairgrounds at one of these drive-in events. One of the biggest and most unique attractions of the fair is the butter sculpture. Tell me about what they are doing with their event this year to keep fairgoers involved. This year's butter sculpture from the American Dairy Association Northeast will actually be in a live stream video so that viewers can still see the sculpture. And then participants were also encouraged to make their own butter sculptures out of five pounds of butter. And can you also tell me about 4-H? First, tell me what it is and what they are doing now with these new adaptations. 4-H is a program for youth, the kids in the program will work on projects throughout the whole year, whether that's raising an animal or some other type of project. And this year, because the fair was canceled, the Onondaga County 4-H program is still holding virtual activities. So some of these virtual fair activities included beekeeping and bird watching sessions. And also in one of the activities, a student gave a tutorial on how to feed a baby goat. They also held an in-person dairy clinic, and Cindy Albro, who is the 4-H Onondaga program coordinator, said students were upset, so they wanted to put in place this virtual fair instead to give them a way to continue to show their projects. How are people feeling about the fairs to come in the future? Are they feeling optimistic? You know, what are their thoughts? People are feeling optimistic for specifically next year's fair. Next year's fair will also be 18 days instead of the normal 13, which this year's fair was supposed to be 18 days before it was canceled. They're hoping that it might be one of the best fairs ever. Mandy Cranach is the culture editor for the Daily Orange. You can read the article, New York State Fair Organizers Optimistic for 2021 After This Year's Cancellation on the Daily Orange website. Mandy, thank you so much for your time.
Thanks for having me. Phoebe used to work at Central Services at Newhouse and most of her job was delivering mail to faculty and also working events at the Herg. But obviously there are no events and faculty aren't quite comfortable with people touching their mail, trying to avoid contact. So she was supposed to go abroad this semester and wasn't going to be working anyway, but that also got canceled because of COVID. Then over the summer, she told me she reached out to her boss to say, hey, I'll be on campus. I can come back to work and she didn't hear a response right away but then a few weeks later her boss had emailed all the employees back and said we're sorry we won't be able to rehire you this semester. So they couldn't rehire their employees for this semester and didn't really have any other job lined up. The university didn't help her out, help her find another job, she was just kind of left on her own. Now she's going about trying to find a new federal work study job. My name is Sarah Alessandrini and I'm an assistant news editor for The Daily Orange. So can you give us an overview of what has changed due to COVID for federal work-study jobs at Syracuse? First, specifically, can you talk about reduced hours? Right. So the biggest change has been the reduced hours for particularly the food services cafes. A lot of cafes are closed. A lot of offices, such as central services, are also closed. For example, food.com and Newhouse, one of the students I interviewed works there. And rather than closing at around 7 p.m. every weekday night, they now close at 3 p.m. Naturally, they need less people. And because of social distancing restrictions, they don't want as many people on a shift as often as they did last year. So less students working means they are cutting back on shifts, cutting back on hours, particularly for students who aren't student supervisors. So student supervisors have a minimum amount of hours they have to work a week. They're usually okay. The other big difference is students used to be able to pick up shifts at any food services cafes that they could. Now they're only allowed to work at one cafe, so that's just less opportunities for them to pick up shifts each week. And now some positions are just completely closed, period. There aren't reduced hours or anything. Can you explain that? Right. So for departments and offices like central services that have just not reopened this semester, then naturally those students are just completely out of a job. Their position's not available for this semester. It is very much a department, like case-by-case -case basis. When I spoke with Camille Donabella, she's the director of student employment. She said she didn't phrase it as the university's cutting positions. It's a department-based, you know, it's up to them. Do we need these positions? So some departments are even still hiring. There are some more positions. Ms. Donabella was under the impression that there are more openings this semester. But of course, it's just a matter of getting that out there, putting those postings up, and it really is just a department case-by-case uh, -case basis. And these changes are definitely going to be a big adjustment for students with those work-study jobs. Can you tell me about what those reduced hours meant for some of the students that you spoke to? Right, so one of the students I spoke with, his name is Brian, he's a senior in Whitman this year, and for him, in his case, his hours were reduced, and he said that he expects he's going to make about a fourth of what he made last semester. So that's really going to impact him. He uses that money as spending money. Even, you know, he pays for books, for rent, for all that extra stuff that he's going to need. And even though he still thinks he'll be able to manage attending the university this year, it will definitely be difficult with making less money because, you know, he is on federal work study. and. For that reason, he needs it. He needs that extra income. 
and he is looking for other ways to make money to try to match what he made last semester. And so as you said, these practices are definitely impacting students' income, and most of these measures that are in place is to prevent a coronavirus outbreak from happening. How are students thinking about what happens if there is a substantial outbreak at Syracuse University and we are sent home for the semester? So that was a big concern of one of the students I interviewed. She works at food.com and she's a student supervisor, so she hasn't seen significant reduction of hours. She's actually working about the same as she did last year, so that's all right for her. But she's very concerned that if the university is to close, they'll also close the cafes and then she'll be out of a job because she does live off campus right now. So if the university were to move classes online, she wouldn't go home, she would stay in her off-campus apartment. But then without her job, she would have no income, she wouldn't be able to help pay for rent, for Wi-Fi, for groceries. So she's not really sure what she would do without that job. And some of the students expressed optimism for later in the semester as students get more settled and adjusted to the new rules and regulations on campus. Can you tell me about what they are hoping for? Yeah, so a lot of students are just hoping that next semester will be a little more normal. Well, they all understand that these precautions are in place to prevent an outbreak. They are in place to encourage the safety of all the students on campus and protect students on campus, but obviously it's really impacting their lifestyle. It is difficult with reduced hours, they're not making as much. So they're just hoping that next semester maybe things will look a little more normal. They're hoping even by the end of this semester, because right now a lot of them had said with the cafes, there are not as many students working there, so their shifts are even just a lot slower and they don't need as many student employees working as they did in previous semesters. So they're just hoping that you know, business will start to pick up in the cafes, students will start to feel more comfortable coming back, and more students that need these federal work-study jobs will pick up shifts as well. Sarah Alessandrini is an assistant news editor for the Daily Orange. You can read her story, Student Employees Work Shorter, Fewer Shifts Due to the Pandemic, on the Daily Orange website. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Of course, thank you for having me. A special thank you to Nick, Maggie, Mandy, and Sarah. Thanks to executive producer and podcast editor Elizabeth Kama, and to our producers Catherine Ido, Kylie Herlilly, and Abby Fritz. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next Tuesday.